Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Browns Wire Podcast. This is your host, Josh Keatley. With me is Return of the Mac. Mac Robinson is coming back to Browns Wire, and we are stoked to have him on the Browns Wire Podcast. How you doing, Mac? How you doing, man? Are you excited to be back? I, I, I'm I'm super excited, Josh. I mean, I know we talked a little bit beforehand, but you know, I mean this this is great. It's a little bit weird being sitting on this side of sitting on this side of things, but you know. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited, man. I'm I'm happy. I'm glad to see what you've been able to do with uh, with the podcast and everything like that, man. Well, you know, I try. You know, I, I'm not the chosen one like you. No, you know, stop you, you it. are no, stop you are it. Jeff's favorite. But well, <laughs> I tried. No, I tried in your absence, but uh, yeah, man, everything's been going pretty smooth. I, I saw that your first article came out. I think you did a little bit of rundown on Bill Callahan, correct? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, super excited about him, man. Awesome. Well, well that's interesting. I think you know. I think we're going to have some fan questions. Usually we have Adam Moore on the show. Adam Moore does more gambling side because there's no game this week. I decided to kick him off the show uh, because he's <laughs> Wait, worth another than... Huh? He doesn't have a Pro Bowl spread? No, no, no Pro Bowl. We don't bet on the Pro Bowl here. But I tell you what, we do have some killer prop bets for the Super Bowl. You have to, he, dude, he's got some good information. He's got oh, some yeah. good information. He's, he's a total math nerd. Of course, uh, but we'll... he's a machine. Yeah, oh yeah, of course, of course. But we'll we'll dive into some of these listener questions. We got a couple uh, questions from Nathan Royans last week that we didn't get a chance to answer, but I thought they were pretty good. I don't. Did you have a chance to look at these when I text them to you? Or are you just gonna go just oh, yeah. off the flow? I, I I took a look at them a little bit, but I'll have you go ahead and rip through them for me, and uh, okay. we'll go ahead and go through. Okay. The first question I had uh, was, what does Stefanski have to do before Week One to win fans over? See, and this is a difficult question because, you know, um, obviously I've been of the camp that, you know, I, I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to any of these coaches. You know, that was my main um, takeaway from it because, look, we – and I understand and people have said it too. We get ticked off in December by the end of the year. We understand that when the coach is fired, got to go, got to go. But then once you get into January, you start to hire assistants. Everybody gets all hyped back up again, and we get right back in the swing of things. But, you know, for me, when it comes to Stefanski, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, I think that for him, the way that he's been able to go about things, the way he's been able to talk, um, you know, he, he's done a, a, a good job. And, you know, outside of the whole, like, you know, east side versus west side thing, you know, to joke around with some of the fans, um, the one thing that I will say is the fact that, you know, he's done a good job walking the walk and, you know, for fans, th this is the biggest thing that I've taken away, you know, so far is that, you know, despite the fact that the Browns don't have a GM, you know, despite the fact that, you know, there's all of this turmoil that you see year in, year out and the whole reputation that everybody says the Browns have because of Jimmy Haslam and, you know, the history that he has with coaching hires, um, seeing as it's like, he can't. It seems as it it seems like he has as much uh, 
conviction on that as he does picking out a code every morning. Um, but you know, <laughs> you know, he's got the, he's got no patience either. Yeah, he exactly. Picks, he picks patience in weird spots too. We're forgetting that we don't even know if some of the coaches that he hired were bad because he didn't give the only one he gave sufficient enough time was Hugh Jackson for some reason. Exactly, exactly, and that and that was the exact reason why you know the continuity for sake of continuity. It, that's why it's wrong. That's why it's bad. If you know the guy isn't good, get him out because you don't want to waste your time. But that's fair. Um, you know, the one thing that I will say about this crew and about this group that's different and why it excites me, you know, um, at this point is because, like I said, you know, the lack of a GM, all of that, you're still getting in a guy like a Bill Callahan. Um, you're getting in a guy like a Chad O'Shea. And despite what you had last year where, you know, James Campen is a, is a good Good O-line coach. He's very good at teaching, very good at developing some of these guys. And I understand the offensive line wasn't great last year, but, you know, I mean, it is what it is with the talent that you had last year. But the one thing that I will say, Bill Callahan is one of the top five offensive line coaches in the league. According to Justin Mosqueda, he had his of uh, optimum scouting. He had his ranking um, a couple years ago, not to mention to Damian Woody, Ross Tucker. You know, they've done radio appearances. They've talked about this, and they've even said the fact that, look, he is a top five coach, offensive line coach. But the other aspect of this that isn't necessarily being talked about, you know, you've got Chad O'Shea, who called, who called plays in uh, Miami last year, and he has extensive experience as, as a wide receivers coach. You've got Bill Callahan, who's a former offensive coordinator and head coach. He has that experience calling plays in the past. You know, you've got uh, Rick Scangarello. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, hopefully. Uh, sorry, Rick. Um, but, you know, him. Well, he, a, he, ha he hasn't been hired yet, correct? That has, not that's been, not he official. He has not been hired. He has not been hired. Okay. But uh, there's a very good chance that he ends up as the uh, quarterback coach. That's another person who has often who has uh, experience calling plays, and you know once again one of those young minds, and also comes from a similar offense as uh, Kevin Stefanski likes to run in that Kyle Shanahan, that Shanahan type of offense. So you know you get all of this kind of stacking up, and you see a head coach who is willing to go ahead and pass out and delegate to his coaching staff, and he has plenty of options to where, you know what, if I don't like this play, what would you run in this case? So, you know, building out that experienced coaching staff, and the thing that we're not even talking about, the defensive staff hasn't even been filled out yet. And no, that I'm excited I, about. They haven't, they haven't even touched that. There's a couple rumors I thought were really intriguing. But I agree with a lot with what, with what you said, but I do kind of want to break down how you said it and what you said, right? Okay, so I asked... What does he have to do? And then you you went uh, uh, I, like did who did you want them to hire him? Did I, were you? I did. I did. You did. I did. He that was your number one choice. No, no. <laughs> my number one choice was McDaniel's. But here's the thing: is that you know I have McDaniel's as my number one. But after everything that's come out, everything like that. But when it comes to the straight up alignment of everything and having Deep Podesta in tow, mm -hmm. you know, this is why I'm the most excited. This is what gives. This is why I tell fans that. I'm I'm getting excited about this is because not only are you having these great coaching hires and everything like that, you have Kevin Stefanski selling them on the alignment of the organization. And that's the one thing that hasn't been here since Mike Holmgren, Tom Heckert, and Pat Shermer has been the alignment of the vision of the organization since back then. Ever since Jimmy Haslam's come in, and you know, you can say take it for what it is, but since Jimmy Haslam has come in, you have not had any alignment when it comes to it, you know, when it came to the Joe Banner, um, when it came to the Joe Banner and Ray Farmer, 
Um, or no, I'm sorry, Joe Banner and Michael Lombardi. There have been so many GMs I can't even keep track anymore. Uh, but, you right. know, going through, like, the first, their supposed first hire, you know, they went through and you ended up at Mike Pettin after four candidates told you no. So, you know, as you kind of go through you take a look at the way that all this has been organized. It's been forced marriages. It's been pass-up opportunities. And even when you had that opportunity to get that alignment in 2016, you know, you had that chance to hire a Sean McDermott. They went ahead and they hired Hugh Jackson because Jimmy Haslam loved Hugh. And we all it, saw how that went. And I, I know that you kind of said that with our sar- sarcastic tone, but everyone loved Hugh. People forget how great Hugh Jackson's resume was. I mean, he won a lot of he won a he had a very solid resume with his stint as a head coach at the Oakland Raiders, and he did a lot with a very pedestrian Cincinnati offense. Had them in the playoffs every year. Had them in the top half every year. That was a that was a solid resume. It's it very was, similar to McDaniel's, if not better, because McDaniel's had that one terrible year in Denver, and Hugh Jackson didn't have that. Here's the thing, and this is where I this is where I slightly beg to differ. If you take a look at that Cincinnati offense, I swear to God, I could do I could do very well calling plays because and when it comes to scheming up routes, everything like that. When it comes to scheming up an offense, I get it, but when it comes to calling plays on that offense, you've got AJ Green, you've got Marvin Jones, who was the who was the number one up until this year with Kenny Galladay, um, and then you also had Muhammad Sanu, who played well in in Atlanta and then went up over to New England. You had. Um, oh my God, who am I forgetting as their tight end? I, they, I, they had Tyler Eifert, Jermaine Gresham. They've always yeah, had a Tyler good tight Eifert, end. Thank They've you. always had a good quarterback, Andy Dalton, Carson Palmer. They've always had a good yeah. running back, Joe Mixon, Rudy Johnson, Cedric well, Benson. You, take your pick. I get I, that. Jeremy these, Hill. Jeremy the, Hill. Jeremy that Hill. One year, that was his big year. The, these are all great points, but you can make the same argument. With every candidate, though, correct? No, and that's, and that, and I mean, because even that's Stefanski, fair. you look at. I mean, Kirk Cousins is one of the highest paid quarterbacks, that's right? Fair. You, you got Dalvin Cook, you got Stephon Diggs, you got. No, and and you know what? That's fair. And this this is what I will say, is that the Cleveland Browns, when it comes to hiring coordinators, they do great, but they put them at the wrong position. They put them at head coach. You know, that's that's the one issue that I've seen because you know people were. Obviously, the Giants ended up getting Pat Shermer again because he did yep. such a good job with Minnesota. And you see the way that you see the way that some of these candidates have been able to move on. Obviously, up until this past week, Mike Patton had been leading a very good uh, Green Bay defense this year. You know, Kyle Shanahan, obviously not a head coach here, but you know, did a great has done a great job in San Francisco. Has him in the yes. Super Bowl. Yeah. But you know, the amount of talent that comes through here as a head coach that's better off as an assistant. And that's the one thing is that, you know, a lot of these guys have come in and a lot of times it's due to the one, the, the buzzword that's been here for the last seven years, power struggle. You know, it, it, it's been a lot of these guys trying to reaching, kind of reaching for more power. And, you know, even the stories that have come out about John Dorsey as, as the GM, yeah. you know, he wanted to keep Freddie Kitchens after what happened this year. Yeah. And, you know, the, the stories coming out of, you know, him having his his hands in meddling with the uh, game day roster, which actually kind of goes along with what I had heard uh, throughout the season, you know, um, him kind of messing with some of those and him having more power uh, over the roster and over the, the decisions and Freddie not willing to give up the play calling and, the, the way that a lot of things have kind of shaken out, you know, um, it's it, it, the reason why I'm excited for this is that you don't seem to have that. You have people buying in 
to the alignment. And, you know, I mean, he hasn't been hired yet, but, I mean, George Payton had his second interview um, as the uh, for the Browns GM position, and he rarely takes interviews. I mean, he was a finalist for the 49ers job back in 2017 before they hired John Lynch. But, you know, it, it's a rarity. And the fact that he's gotten not one but two interviews with the Browns and he's taken them is a huge step for the team. And honestly, really goes to show the kind of alignment and really the pitch that you end up seeing from these guys. So it, uh, you're giving the Browns a lot of credit. You're getting me excited. I'm sure you're getting everybody who's listening excited. But here, here's my question. You're giving them a lot of credit for being organized. But don't you think that this whole process was completely unorganized? I mean, they, they set themselves they, – they came out. And they said, we're going to be, we want a head coach with experience. No one made them say it. No one made them say it. They came out and said, I want a head coach with experience. Okay, well, they didn't hire a head coach with experience. Then they set themselves a deadline. We're going to hire a coach by Saturday. No, again, no one made them have a deadline. And then what they did after all every other NFL team hired their head coach, they still said, no, 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 we're going to hire a coach by Saturday. Even though there's no rush, there's no pressure, everybody already has a job. And then what happened? Oh, both candidates that they had it narrowed down to had a game Saturday. So then they said to Sunday, it just felt like a weird just a befuddling of mistakes. Is it, don't you agree? I, okay. I can, I can see where you're coming from with that. And, and this is what I will say is that, you know, when, when they said, you know, when, and I know I'm going to get into semantics and I'm sure I'm going to get killed in the comments for this, but you know, <laughs> I mean, when it, when it comes down to this, you know, when they asked, what are you looking for in a head coach? And he didn't Jimmy didn't say NFL head coaching experience. He said NFL experience. And when it came down to it, you okay. know, you had Stefanski who had been with the same team and had been in the same way that we gave Chris Tabor credit for lasting through five regimes or I don't know how many it was. You know, you got to be a smart guy and you got to be able to stick and be scheme diverse in order to go ahead and move from scheme to scheme from staff to staff. And for Stefanski, you already had the familiar the familiarity from last year. You already had that where, you know, he's got that time, he's got that resume, he's built that up with a ton of coaches throughout the league. His you resume, know. well, hold on. You're giving him a, now again, you're giving him a lot of credit. His I'm resume giving him credit. I know. is similar to Freddie Kitchens, is it not? He's got one year of experience where he's calling plays. And all that we give him a lot of we, we're talking about the regime change. You're not the only one that said that. Like, oh dude, he's been with Five different head coaches. That means five different people have liked him, thought he was intelligent, yeah. held on to him. Pat Sherman even blocked his interviews a couple of years ago to be an OC. And I get all that. I'm not bashing him, but I do think that a lot of those things that we're giving him credit for can also be justifiable question marks. No, and that, and and you know what? That's fair. That's fair. Because, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I'm not up here trying to just tell everybody, chug the Browns Kool-Aid because it's over, whatever. No, like, I, I'm cautiously optimistic because – the one thing I will say is that, yes, there are question marks, and yes, you know, obviously in the past there have been, you know, these struggles that this team has gone through. But at the same time, I will say this, the whole self-imposed deadline, it gives you a week before the senior bowl to go ahead and at least start to bring in some of these coaching candidates as your assistants because, once again, too, you've got four other jobs that had filled their, that had filled their needs and are hiring assistants as well. You want to make sure you're getting a jump on that. And then once you bring in once you bring in your head coach, you also want to be able to, as Jimmy had said, he's not going to be the guy to go ahead and say, this is our guy, this is who we hire, this, this is the end-all be-all, but you want his input on that as well. And with the Senior Bowl coming up, obviously happening this week, you know, you wanted to make sure that he was able to get his input on that, and they wanted to make sure they got that hire right. 
Because once and again, I get that. The, the, yeah. the, you're, these are all good points you're bringing up, but no one told him he had to put a deadline. They came out and said that, the, you know, it just it feels like a lot of the things, everything you're saying is right, but they still came out and they still said that stuff and then they still didn't push through with it. Now, let, let's say you talked about how you wanted Josh McDaniels. I agree with you. I wanted Josh McDaniels too. I actually, I wanted Salah, the defensive corner from San Francisco. But Josh McDaniels, I thought his resume was much more impressive than Stefanski as well. I was on this pot. One of the questions given to us a couple weeks ago was Stefanski or McDaniels. I said McDaniels. But I gave the little asterisk and said if he's learned from his mistakes in Denver. So my understanding is that when he came into Cleveland for his interview, he wanted to blow the whole thing up structure-wise, and they didn't like that. So my thought process and why I'm giving the Browns a pass is that that kind of they were kind of blown? That surprised them in a negative fashion. They're like, okay, well, we can't hire this guy because he's going to go psycho again. Yeah, that that was my that was my big thing was when I heard that. I thought if if he can work with Deepadasa, if he can work with that department and everything like that, and they're able to get on the same page, perfect. That's a great marriage. You know, obviously, my, my big thing when it came to McDaniel's too was the interest in Baker pre-draft, where you heard the rumors and nobody really brought it up, yeah. but the fact that you know. There were all the rumors of, oh, so many teams wanted to trade up to number two, including the Patriots, if yeah. Baker Mayfield didn't go one. And that was the biggest thing was that I, I thought if if the Patriots were willing to trade up from, like, what, 28 or something like that. I, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. They were willing to trade up that far and give up that much capital to move up to two to draft Baker Mayfield. And Josh McDaniels was the one that led that visit. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and want that guy to go ahead and yeah. lead, lead my offense. But – with the way that he wanted to kind of blow everything up, I I wasn't I wasn't good with that because once again, and you know, I, I'll just quickly say this about Deep Podesta. My biggest thing with him was the fact that you know, Jimmy Haslam hired him to do one job, which is to be in charge of the structure. And when you evaluate the structure of the organization for his role, it was okay. How do we get this right so that this all so that everybody is aligned right? Everybody's working together. And we can go ahead and get this better for the team instead of trying to get somebody better for themselves. And that was the biggest issue that I took with Dorsey, but that's that's neither here nor there. But in the same way, I wonder if that was the same type of thing with McDaniels where you went ahead, you had that type of situation where he wanted to just clear him out and wanted to clear out that entire that entire thing, even though Deep Podesta was just trying to do his job. Deep right. Podesta's job is to go ahead and run that, run those processes in the same way that you have an HR manager that goes ahead and, or you have a hiring manager who's in charge of all of this stuff. You have a hiring manager, and the last two times you haven't listened to the hiring manager. Yes. So, in, in, in for this time, let him do his job. That that was my thing, and you know, let it go through the process. Obviously, you go through and evaluate which is going to be the best one to go through, which is going to be the best candidate that's going to go ahead and work with others, and. Based on, you know, and you said it for um, calling plays for Stefanski, you know, the one thing that he was able to do is be a little bit more diverse this year, you know, compared to what we saw with Freddie Kitchens, where, you know, it's come out now, but, you know, for like Todd Monken, when it came to the game days and everything like that, or when it came to the game plans, he mainly ran a lot of that stuff, but, you know, when it came down to game days, obviously Freddie's the one calling the plays. And when you're the head coach, you're in charge of, you know, all of the position rooms, you're checking in on all of them, you're managing the team. You don't have time to go ahead and go through the game plan with some of them. Right. I, it, and that was what, that was what I was told. So, you know, when it comes down to that, 
you know, that's why I feel better with Stefanski because when it came to this year, you know, he was able to adapt after a couple of those struggles early on and a, a couple of those games early on. He was able to go ahead, adjust his offense. He was able to, you know, maybe not necessarily have everybody as involved as they would have liked. You know, you had Stefan Diggs complain and everything like that, but even Kyle Rudolph talked with Joe Thomas about it too. But he had even said the fact that, you know, even though you might not be getting the ball, you're still affecting this offense, which is the same thing that I would argue about Odell this past year, even though he wasn't healthy and getting the ball as much. You know, that still opened it up for Jarvis. That still opened it up for some of these other guys to get the ball and get into open space. I get that, and you're 100% right about all that. But if you have Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen complaining that they're not getting the ball, how do you think it got maybe, – maybe this is just me assuming that Odo Beckham is just a bigger dick than those guys, but I feel like that's a safe assumption based off of what we've seen the last couple of months. <laughs> but if hey, you, man, you celebrate how you want, but I, I I'm not going to judge. Uh, based on all the interactions that I that I had with Odell in the training camp and everything like that, I mean, dude's a great guy. Um, even better. So you don't ball. you don't see him complain. You don't you think that Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen are bigger drama queens than Odell Beckham? That's my I I, no, I feel no, like people I, forget I that. that there was a four week stretch where the Vikings offense was not good. And I'm not disagreeing with that because, look, I've made my fair share of Kirk Cousins jokes. Yeah, but, yeah. But at the same time, you know, I also think that it also comes with an upgrade when it comes to quarterback. I think that Baker Mayfield is an upgraded quarterback, and I think that, you know, you, I think Kevin Stefanski can get more out of Baker because he's willing to be more aggressive than, than Kirk Cousins was this past season. You know, I and I agree with that point, and I've said that point as well. But a lot of people would disagree with that. A lot of people have Kirk Cousins as a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield, and you've seen that. I know you've seen that on Twitter as well. Yeah, and it's not you know it's not dumb and, people that are saying that. And, and okay, let me put it this way then, because if if people want to say Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback, it look to each their own. But um, I, I will I will say this: I think Baker's a better fit because of the fact that he can be more aggressive with the ball. You know, you're going to be mainly. Focusing on the ground game, obviously. Dalvin Cook loved this offense because this is the most production. Well, that he's yeah, had. of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, he. I think he finished what third or fourth this year in rushing. But you know, when it came to you know, or when it comes to Nick Chubb, and especially in that Shanahan offense, you you see you saw what happened on Sunday. You know, I mean, the Green Bay Packers couldn't stop a nosebleed, let alone a run up the gut. Right. And you know, the way that this offense is going to be run. You're going to be focusing on that much more, but you need that aggressiveness out of your quarterback in order to force the ball downfield to take advantage of those play-action passes to go and hit downfield. And even, too, I'll even say, too, David Njoku is going to be another one who I think really benefits from this offense because I think that this is also going to open up a lot more for him, especially, you know, thinking back to how Jordan Cameron performed in this offense with uh, Kyle Shanahan back in 2014 as a Pro Bowler. You know, that's interesting you bring up David Njoku because I actually co- we have another question uh, about if if you have to create some cap space on the 2020 roster, who are you cutting this offseason? Name three players. And I'm kind of going through the roster and I'm looking at like eligible people and I'm reading what other people have to say as well. And David Njoku, even though he w- doesn't come up on my radar as at all, and apparently he doesn't come up on your radar e- either, a lot of people and a lot of intelligent people feel like David Njoku could be a roster casually due to the injuries and the continuous drop passes. Uh, and see, here's the thing. And it even goes back to some of the other media members I talked to back in training camp where I was like, oh man, you know, a couple drives there for Njoku. But literally, I mean, we all just, just said that's, 
Yeah, uh, yeah, just like, <laughs> here and there, you know, or yeah. a lot. Uh, but you know, with Najoku, it's just that's Najoku being Najoku. You know, you're gonna live, you're gonna live with those drops because of the big plays and the athletic ability that he shows. And the one thing that I will say is that you know, when it comes to cap casualties and everything like that, I, I look more so at Demetrius Harris. Oh my God, me too. That's the first. That's the first name I wrote down. That's. The, so uh, he's second behind Chris Hubbard for me. Um, he's he's right up there too. Because I, I, when it year. when it comes to when it comes to Chris Hubbard, I mean he's the, he's the saloon doors from like those westerns oh, when you try so to walk bad. in. Yeah, so no, bad man. We talked about we talked about how he was a bad signing back in the day. Everybody was all excited about him, and then we were like, dude, he was the backup tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who don't never they never necessarily have one of the strongest offensive line units, and he was the backup. And then we went ahead and signed him for that big money contract. We talked about how that was a bust. We talked about how Demetrius Harris was a stupid signing too. Well, yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say, Demetrius Harris, I thought was supposed to be more of a blocker, but obviously, no, because... I don't know why people think that the dude played basketball. Is it because he's big? I he was terrible at that there... too. He was terrible at everything. Look, man, that those were the stories that were coming out. But dude, bad. He was so bad. Yeah, but um, you know, going through some of these, man, like I, I will say this: um, as good of a dude as he is. You know, one of the names that I keep coming back to, just depending on the fit, is TJ Carey. You know, if he restructures his contract, he might be a guy who you can keep. But um, another one that I think could be on the bubble is Terrence Mitchell. Um, you know, That's some the of the guy I wrote down too. Yeah, Terrence Mitchell. I, I saw Ter- TJ Carey's got a much fatter contract. Yeah, uh, than Terrence Mitchell. I think Terrence Mitchell's up to three five, and then TJ Carey's over five. Um, so I, you're, you're right. One of those guys is going to, they're going to get the bell. And I, I, yeah, I've talked to TJ Carey multiple times. That guy is a super phenomenal, nice person. And he, he plays the slot a lot better than, uh, Terrence Mitchell. Terrence Mitchell can't play the slot at all. So I think that does allow him more versatility and maybe to, to keep, allows him more versatility and value to probably stay. But with that said, you have to think that the Browns are going to try to add more youth to that defensive backfield. And if that happens, both those guys could be cut, man. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is that especially, I mean, rumors are saying that Joe Woods is probably going to be that defensive coordinator. Um, Which would be a the, great hire, I think. Yeah, oh, I completely agree. And, you know, um, some of the some of the things that have come out, you know, talk, or I believe it was Ben Albright that had it on Twitter. Um, but, you know, he talked about, you know, who or a fan had asked him, who would really benefit the most? Um, from from Joe Woods being hired, and he said, "Oh, easily Greedy Williams," because I I think that takes a little bit of pressure off of him. And so all of a sudden, then you know you're right. Taking a look at some of those guys in the backfield, I mean that's where it starts to get kind of interesting. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. And I think uh, we we kind of skipped over the question, the first question. Yeah. I, I apologize. Yeah, I do want I do want to answer that. So do you 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 kind of you named a lot of positives about Stefanski. So do you think that he's already won over the fan base? I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, I think I don't think so yet. I think that you're getting there, but at the same time, because I do think that there's obviously, you know, with with Deep Podesta and hiring Safansky, we we've gotten back into the into the Sashi Wars, um, as people like to call it. But you know, I, I think that it, it's gonna take him obviously winning games, but I think that there's gonna there's going to be a faction of the fan base that just isn't gonna be happy about the hire until, you know, until we get to the regular season. I think that he has one over the fan base. I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. First of all, this fan base is very easy because, you know, the 
I'm easy. I'm an easy person, right? <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, so they're very easy. You mentioned the press conference numerous times. I've seen his stupid quotes. Dude, we had a fat dude from Alabama who had no experience get up there and said, if you don't wear orange or brown, you don't matter. And then, boom, that was it. That's all it took. That's all it took. And every Cleveland fan in the world was like, this guy's going to win us a Super Bowl. So I think he kind of has one over everybody. Uh, I was not for him being hired, like I told you. But I do think that he's hiring, like you said, he's hiring the right people. And I think that he's get, his hires are getting people excited. Bill Callahan, that's an exciting hire. That dude was a head coach for Nebraska. He was a head coach uh, in Oakland. You know, mm-hmm. he, was, he was a part of the uh, Super Bowl squad. He was the offensive line coach for the Jets when they had Nick Mangold, Alan Fanica, DeBrickshaw Ferguson. He was the offensive line coach in Dallas when they had Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, Travis Frederick. The, the dude has name recognition through the roof. Chad O'Shea doesn't have nearly that name recognition, but I also think he 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 worked with Randy Moss. Excited. Well, and and he was an offensive coordinator for Miami last year who didn't play that. They, they weren't that bad, right? And he's taken a demotion. So everybody he's hiring into these positions have had better jobs previously. And then the, Chad O'Shea was also with the Patriots for nine, ten years. Yeah, people he was love there. that. So I he, I think that people are already kind of falling all over Stefanski. Plus, he's kind of good looking. Uh, well, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, you have to at that point. Well, yeah. But, but, but you can't go with another fat guy. Yeah, no. Of you can't go not. with a fat guy who makes decisions however he pleases, right? So you got to go with the hot guy that uses analytics. Exact opposite. There you go. <laughs> the good looking nerd. Let's do it. That's right. Um, That's right. But, you, you know, the, the other thing I, I, one quick thing about Chad O'Shea, too, that, you know, not a lot of people realize is that, you know, for as long as McDaniels was it was in New England, you know, I mean, Chad O'Shea started there in 2008. You know, he, he was coaching Randy Moss. He was coaching Wes Welker. He coached up Julian Edelman into what he is today, you know, and, and a cool. lot. And the other aspect of this, too, for for as much as people want to just blip over the fact that he was in Miami, this is the first year that you got Devontae Parker actually, you know, performing. Preston to, Williams? Preston yes. Williams fell all the way down to what the – I think he – did he, he go undrafted? UDFA? Yeah, he, he went undrafted. He, he turned him into a producer. Now, we all kind of thought Preston Williams was good. Big five-star recruit transferred from Tennessee to Colorado State. So it's not a huge surprise. But he – no one expected him to make the impact that he did that early on. Now, I will say it is a huge turnoff that Ryan Fitzpatrick was the leading rusher. But who cares? The guy's not going to be calling plays in Cleveland. I don't He's care a passing that. game coordinator. He doesn't have to worry about it. Yeah, I don't care about that at all. So, uh, yeah, and I, we do have two different answers on there, but I definitely see what you're saying. A lot of Cleveland fans are going to be a little gun-shy. I mean, you know, he can win the first four games. I think there's still going to be Cleveland fans that go, Mm-mm, you hurt me before. You hurt mm-hmm. me before. Mm-hmm. Maybe listen to Hawthorne Heights crying in their bedroom, you know, <laughs> which I get. I totally get. Did you have I mean, anything else to add on the Stefanski thing? You, 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 you cover a lot. You talked about the press conference. Yeah. I, I know I kind of go all over the place with it, but I, I no, I, I hey, I dig it, dude. It, it wouldn't be excited. the first time that I go off on a tangent on, on the Browns Wire podcast, so yeah. <laughs> it gets gets <laughs> me excited. Okay, but can I ask you about Freddie Kitchens? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Do you yeah. think you kind of we we both kind of bash him a little bit, but at the end of the day, he kind of got screwed, right? Um, a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, he, I, got, I would... he got thrown into the fire, thrown thrown to the wolves. You kind of could see why John Dorsey wanted to hang out. You had to have known. This slack jaw hillbilly was gonna not be. I mean, come on, man. I, I mean, he, he had six games as as an offensive coordinator. You make him the head coach. How do you not see the struggles coming? It's the Desha- it's the head coaching version of the Deshaun Kaiser thing. You draft a guy who you know is not ready. You slap him in there, and we're gonna be mad at you because you're not ready, I right? Mean, 
I mean, look, I'm not going to say I'm not going to call him slack jaw hillbilly. I won't go that far. But, you know, I mean, you know, for me, looking at the way that everything was kind of set up at at first, you know, it, it really seemed like um, at least at first that it, it was going to be somewhat positive, you know, when it came down to um, his relationship with Baker Mayfield. But at the same time, you didn't have that necessary leadership. You know, that that was that was missing. I, he was I in over his head. He was completely yeah. in over his yes. head. And then all the coaches that were hired, like you said, that I think you you also mentioned this too. We I kind of skimmed over, but you said Stefanski, from your understanding, and I think I've heard this too, Stefanski is involved in the co- the hirings of his assistants, and he is gonna be a great delegator, which obviously that's what's gonna make him a successful head coach with his limited experience. Freddie Kitchens, from my understanding, I, I, I to correct me if I'm wrong, he didn't have a role in his assistants at all. John no, Dorsey said, This is who you're hiring because you don't know what you're doing. That's so he, he automatically you got a bad relationship with your assistants. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's the I don't I don't know if it's that you don't know what you're doing, but I will say that, you know, John Dorsey played a large part in the hiring process of that entire coaching staff, which is why I, which is why I said the fact that, you know, he had as much control over the game day roster, you know, between that, between the reports of, you know, Monken, not necessarily, I, I don't even really understand what Monken really did. I mean, I understand that he game planned every single week, but at the same time, you know, I mean, you ended up it having, it sounds like he got paid to do nothing is what it sounds like. It sounds like he had the sweetest gig in Cleveland. I, I don't I can't I can't necessarily confirm or deny that, but at the same time, like I, I don't know what he did on game day. Like I, I legitimately don't know what his role was. And, and he because, seemed, it seemed pretty sour too. It, like, the relationship yeah. just seemed sour right from the get go. I mean, there you know, there's rumors that he was talking trash to the opposing coaches and all that about Cleveland being a dumpster fire, which who can blame him? But yeah, it just it wasn't good. It wasn't a good situation. So I do agree with you that Stefanski having a better – he's going to automatically have a better relationship with his assistants uh, immediately. So that yeah. should help immensely. Exactly. And, and like I said, too, I mean, the fact that he's already coming, you know, he's got that that prerequisite of, you know, he's got those other coaches that he's worked with in the past that are also recommending him as well. And, yeah. I mean, obviously, like, he comes with this little bit of a stigma, even though you don't necessarily um, – see that entire uh I'm trying to think of the word right now you know he he doesn't necessarily have that name value that you got with the Josh McDaniels but at the same time you know you end up having him um be able to go out and at least explain and honestly I think that's even better because instead of having instead of relying on your name you're relying on the alignment you're relying on your your vision for the team you're relying on selling this guy on this team on this roster and on this organization so if you're getting guys to buy into that and you're building out a lineup of experienced coaches who are willing to be creative with the offense and willing to, you know, teach these players, I'm all in. I'm all in on it. You know, I, I love I love what he's been able to do um, so far. And especially, too, I mean, even recognizing the fact that, look, there were two good things that came out of Cleveland last year. It was the running game and special teams. And the two and two of the assistants or the three assistants that he kept around were some Mitchell, the running backs coach. Yeah. You had um, Mike Prefer, the special teams coach, and they had the special teams assistant stack. So the two good aspects of the team that you had last year, okay, we're keeping you. So instead of trying to just reset the entire thing and said, okay, something was good last year, we're gonna keep that in place. So I I appreciate that aspect as well. 
and not necessarily saying I have to put my stamp on every aspect of this team. Right. You're, you're embracing what was already good, which is, you know, if you can, I, I, I don't think you have to be a great head coach to be a great head coach. I think if you have the right people in place and you can delegate and if you know your own weaknesses, I think that's how you thrive. And I think we're, we're saying the same thing. Um, all right, did you have anything else you want to add before we moved on to the next question? Um, no, no, I'm good, man. Okay, I, and for the re- for the record, I'm not all in, but I will dip my big toe in. Just dip it, I'll <laughs> a little dip. But all right, so we talked about the the cut question. I thought that was a good question. He wants three players. If you have to name three players, and there was a lot of people I thought about. You know, Cream Hunt. In order to keep him, we're gonna have to slap a big tender on him, probably in the five million dollar range. David Njoku's been dealing with injuries. OBJ makes the news nonstop. He seems very frustrated. Blah 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 blah. Olivier Vernon was always hurt. Christian Kirks, he's always hurt. Uh, you mentioned T.J. Carey. We talked about Chris Hubbard. Um, you know, I, I believe that uh, J.C. Treader, he's one of the highest paid centers. Uh, that's not really seen as a as a premium position. So it'd be interesting to see they get some cap space out of that. Well, they but just the extended the day, J.C. They just extended J.C. That was so under the old regime, though. Even. Well, even still, I mean, he was also signed by the older regime originally with Deep Podesta and with those with those guys. That's so true. that's true. Analytically, it would take, it would take some out. it would take some big balls to cut him after just giving him extension. I'm yeah. just saying these are names I've heard possibly being floated around, and that it, it, and he has played well, but it's, center is not a premium position. So I could see you trying to get your nine million dollars back, but again, it would that I feel like he's probably. A very, 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 very unlikely to get cut. Just like OBJ and just like Olivier Vernon, right? Yeah. I feel like those. I've heard those guys' names, but I feel like that those are just as unlikely. You just, you just sign those guys. You just trade assets to go OBJ. I feel like those are just as unlikely. But yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that those are guys that I see come up. My three people that I haven't narrowed down to. We talked about Demetrius Harris. Okay, Demetrius Harris drops every pass. Uh, I don't really know what he brings to the table. I know he's tall. People have told me he's tall. I'm aware of his tallness, mm-hmm. but that's not enough for me. Okay, and I believe his contract is uh, uh, slightly above two million. My yeah. second player, Darius Taylor. Darius Taylor again. I think he's got roughly the same. I think he's getting paid more than Demetrius Harris, right in that two million dollar range. It's I don't really know how, how the contracts bump up, but I know it's right in that range. Dude, the dude played one snap the last eight games. Did you know that? Which one, our Darius? A Darius Taylor, man. Yeah. So, oh man, that's that's just awful. That's yeah, you, just, you, he wasn't good. I think that they signed him primarily to, for, for special teams, and yeah. then he kind of got thrown into the starting position spot with a Kirksey's injury. Um, and but he wasn't even good at special teams; like he just wasn't good. Well, and I actually pulled up, uh, you know, some of the names that I actually would want. I have the savings pulled up as well. Um, but you know, for for Taylor, you know, you're saving a little bit under two and a half million dollars. You know, for somebody who. Like you said, played one snap the last eight weeks. And he was mainly a guy who, you know, from talking to people down in Tampa, you know, he was mainly a guy who's going to be good for you on special teams, but that's about it. He wasn't good in Tampa. I I still kind of, I still really don't really know why we signed him. And he got removed by Mac Wilson and Sion Takitaki real fast. Real fast. Those rookies who fell to the middle rounds because they had no idea how to play linebacker. Bust, you know they move. They moved him low on the depth chart. So yeah, I, I think we're in agreement there. Uh, my last guy is, is Terrence Mitchell. It was it was close. You know, I mean, I stared hard at Chris Hubbard. I stared hard at DJ Carey. Um, but at the end of the day, I went with Terrence Mitchell. Like we talked about the slot, 
Terrence Mitchell doesn't play the slot, and Terrence Mitchell has also dealt with some injuries of his own. I know his contract isn't as large as TJ Carey's or Hubbard, uh, but it is a little over three mil. Um, Hubbard's still – you don't want him starting. I think we know that now. But that's still – it's not like he's a homeless person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he wouldn't yeah. be on my list. These three guys, when they're on the field, they're pretty much liabilities. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. No, I, I would agree with you. I would Terrence agree Mitchell you. had streaks. I don't want to crap completely on Terrence Mitchell's career because he had, had he has had streaks here and there where he's been a very uh you know fringe player. But there are also just as many streaks where it's like, why is Terrence Mitchell out there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, for sure. And, and you know, you touch on a lot of the names that I actually want that I I looked at mainly uh but the two that I, like. oh yeah of course man <laughs> uh but you know the the two names that you haven't brought up that that i will say um the one that i'm fringe about and then i'll give you the one that i'm saying absolutely should be and probably will be um the one that's fringe i'm fringe on is morgan burnett you know tours achilles <sighs> um had a great season last year um, he, cutting, he had that beautiful game against Pittsburgh. Yeah, and that and was that the thing. Was what he got hurt. Yeah, and that's that's why it's as much of a shame as it is, man. Yeah. But you know, Morgan Burnett cutting him saves you just under three and a half mil uh, this off season. Um, and you know, he's that good veteran presence, but at the same time, you don't know how he's going to bounce back after this. So that that's the only thing. I don't know if you keep him around or not. I don't know if you keep him at that figure or not. Um, so he's that's, a potential cap cut. That's that's such an interesting player to bring up. I I love Morgan Burnett. When they when they signed him, I loved the signing. He had a really rough stint in Pittsburgh because they were moving. They moved him to like that linebacker position. Yeah, right. And it, that's just not because he, he's he's getting older, man. He's lost he's lost his he's lost a step, right? And that's fine. But they tried to move him to linebacker. He can't play linebacker. But yeah. I do agree with you. He had a lot better. He had a lot of good games, more good games than bad games in Cleveland. He's still aging. I think that's really going to depend on who they hire at defensive coordinator. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, for sure. Um, so that'll be an interesting to watch. Interesting one to watch, though. The other one that I've got is uh, Christian Kirksey, because I, I think that I think I think Kirksey's time is done um, in Cleveland. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I I wasn't as big of a fan. Um, I wasn't as big of a fan of him. I I will say. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, you can, I thought you can do better, uh, at linebacker to be quite honest. And we really haven't seen that, that really good Christian Kirksey year in, in some time, you know, yeah, every single injuries, year. Injuries have definitely taken a toll on that poor guy's career. Yeah. And cutting him saves you just a, a little bit over seven and a half million dollars. So, you know, that's a big number. Yeah. And I will say this. Um, using spot tracks, manage roster tool and everything like that. If you cut Chris Hubbard, TJ Carey, Christian Kirksey, Terrence Mitchell, or Darius Taylor, Demetrius Harris, and Morgan Burnett, you save $30 million on your cap. And that brings the cap space up to $77 million for the offseason. Yeah, those are some big numbers there. A lot of those guys, like Kirksey, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Kirksey. I, I love Kirksey when it was at Iowa. I think he's got a great attitude. I think he's a lovable person. I think he hits hard. I think he works hard. But I mean, injuries have played a ha, have played a toll, and, and that is a big number, you know. Um, that the linebacker, Mac Wilson, I, despite everybody hating on Mac Wilson, I thought he showed flashes of, I don't want to say excellence, but I, he looks like he could start. Sion Taki Taki, 
he looked rough, dude. But I mean, they uh, they like him more than I. They like him. I mean, they drafted him in the third round, so clearly they like him. And he did get some snaps, but I mean, they're obviously I, looking for more of a youth move at the linebacker position. I, I did like Taki Taki a little bit in the preseason, a little bit, but he you know, hard. he goes yeah. after it for sure. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. Motor. I, I'm waiting to see. Like you said, it all depends on the defensive staff because I'm interested to see who they end up hiring um, to see if he can kind of get any more development out of him. The one name that I'm kind of keeping my eye on for that type of a role is uh, George Edwards, the former Vikings DC. Um, you know, his, his contract expired after the season, so he's somebody who could be available for them to kind of go after. Um, but, you know, I, I think that with Mac Wilson, you know, and Jeff and I actually talked about it on the, on the podcast way back after the draft. Um, but, you know, we talked about the fact that with Mac Wilson, it, the, the play, the natural ability was there, mm-hmm. but, you know, it seemed like he would have like five or six really good plays. And then the other like four or five would end up just leave you scratching your head. Yeah, he gets the wrong spot constantly. Yeah, exactly. His, his, he has no read and react skills. And it's just like his, his his physical ability is the same way. You look at him and you go, God damn, that's a linebacker. You know, you see him, he's strong, he's built like a rock, and then he runs a 40 and you're like, what? I don't, how, are you slow? I don't know what's going on. It's, his play is kind of like that too. It's like, damn, you're moving, you're moving fast, but where are you going? You know yeah. what I mean? Like you're hitting hard, but I, I don't know why you hit that guy. It's just. But I, but those are things that you can improve. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's not. I I feel like, and I feel like he did. I feel like as the season went along, we saw him getting better about mm-hmm. where to go, when to go, how to go. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I. And that's you. why he fell in the fifth round. I yeah. mean, remember he that that's not it's not their first round pick. And a lot of dude, I gave him a first round grade, dude. I mean, there were games in Alabama where he just wrecked it, man. He just wrecked it, and he just he. I, you know, he just, but there were a lot of plays where he didn't know what he was doing. What was it? Was it against uh, Clemson when he knocked that running back into the other world? I, I oh believe, my God. I that, believe so, man. Dude, that hit, I mean, and he had hits like that constantly, man. He had hits like that constantly, and he's, and he's better in coverage, right? Those yeah. are a lot of pros to go with some pretty he heavy looked, cons, though. He looked like a safety out there at times at, at the linebacker position. Yeah, he looked good in coverage. He really did. He gets lost in the run game, gets lost in the traffic, uh, but hopefully that's something he can improve on. Um, but are you, I, I guess that's the next question. Are you as hopeful on it? Do you think that he's going to be a starter next year? Or do you think the Browns are going to add some additional talent there? I, I think the Browns are going to add some talent. I think that, you know, and this is just where I'm coming from. You know, if I'm looking at the defense, I think like there's a lot of depth options that I'm trying to look at. Um, I think you're going to probably end up needing two starting safeties next year. Um, I, I think that, you know, I, Randall is out in my opinion. Um, because for what, which is a bummer, which it, is a bummer. He had some, when he was healthy, he screwed himself because he did the Peyton Hills thing at the beginning of the year where he didn't play. Yeah, that, well, that honestly, and I will also say the number that he, like the, the numbers that I had heard previously were yeah. for, for his kind of play and everything like that. Don't get me wrong. I love the way that he's played, they were, but they were gaudy though. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a lot. You know um, he had the highest tackling. He like the, if you take the back half of the season, he had like the highest tackling grade of the, all the defender, all the uh, Browns defenders. Okay, I, I mean didn't, you, I didn't know that. Yeah, look that up, man. People don't. He he really cleaned up his act towards the second, the back end of the season. He just started too late. He started too late. Mm-hmm. I, I I will also say too that you know for the Browns, I think that you're bringing back uh, Schobert. I think that you. I think that they end up bringing back Schobert. Um, you know, but and, and that's. That's also why I think that you get rid of a 
uh, Christian Kirksey, you know, saving that money and trying to designate that money more towards what you get out of Schobert. So, you know, you're freeing up, like I said, you free up a total of $30 million in cap space. You know, you're going to end up being able to do a little bit more with some of these guys and be able to kind of keep some of this talent around. Um, now, it's not going to be as amazing and incredible as it was a couple of years ago when Dorsey spent it all. But, you know, <laughs> at, at the same time, you know, you, you've got to do what you got to do. And this roster, in my opinion, this roster is still a top 10 roster in the NFL. I, I think I, the talent is there, and I think that oh, the sure. overall core. Um, I'll, I'll probably say, like, you've got your top 25, you've got your top 30. It's all about the rest of that those other 23 spots that you're looking at. You know, um, I, I will say this. Um, you know, when it comes to this, when it comes to different uh, positions and everything like that, I would say I was looking more so at linebacker um through free agency the big guy that i that i really want i've talked about it a lot with steven thomas um ed brown's mock draft on twitter but you know Corey littleton from from the rams you know I, i'm a huge fan of his game and i feel like he'd be a, a good player to kind of bring in as a tandem with him and uh Schobert. and then I, I said it in the preseason constantly and we didn't get it as much but i feel like if you combined taki taki with mac wilson I think you get that ideal linebacker that you're looking for. He would you still know, be he would still be lost, but <laughs> yeah, he'd be lost if you give him yeah. a map. Right, he'd be fine, but at the same yeah. time, you know, Taki Taki's better when it comes to the run game and when it comes to being that heavy hitter. But I think that when you get the pass covering pass coverage skills of Mac Wilson, you know, you combine those two. I think them kind of playing together, um, or I guess kind of playing one one after the other, I think that that's where you start to kind of dive into um, kind of the mixing and matching. And maybe you bring in another veteran or two as well. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I do. I think that the overhaul for the linebacking core is probably more needed than the defensive backs. I could see if, if us adding some just more athletic guys in the back end, maybe through the draft, that would probably work. Maybe, you know, middle of the range uh, free agent signing, kind of like we did with Morgan Burnett and that being okay. But the linebackers with Kirksey being gone, I like Joe Schobert too. I think that they're going to bring him back. But like you said, with Mac Wilson and Sion Takitaki, if we could combine them into some kind of linebacker <laughs> transformer. Frankenstein, like yeah. some kind of – yeah, but the fact that we're even having that conversation shows that, that it's kind of a it's a larger weakness, right? You know, yeah, yeah. We, we, we went into we went into the season. It's kind of like we went into the season thinking Jannard Avery was going to be the answer there, and he's not even on the team anymore. So it's it's clearly an issue. The new defensive. I know Steve Wilkes used basically two linebackers the entire time. The new defensive coordinator is probably not going to do that. They're probably going to want three guys playing that role because um, both guys we mentioned Woods in San Francisco and. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the, the Minnesota Vikings guy, his name slips my mind. Both those guys utilize three linebackers very consistently. So uh, it'll that'll be definitely something interesting to see how they address those issues. But you're right, they, the linebackers will be messed with. Yeah, and I will also say, too, the name that I – that probably – and I will say this this is probably my top target for for free, for free agency, excuse me, um, Anthony Harris from Minnesota. I mean, the safety. I, I absolutely would love to bring him in, man. I, God, I think I just I don't know. I'm just not very high on him, man. Why you you tell me why you like him. You know, he's I gonna think, be big you know he's gonna be big money, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think that for him, you know, you look at the the size, I like a lot more. 
Um, you know, he's not afraid to come down and hit and uh, help out and run support. But at the same time, you know, he's got that ball hawking skills that you see on the back end. And, you know, for him, you know, bringing him in, if we talk about bringing in a, a Joe Woods, Joe Woods was the Vikings DB coach, you know, when um, he was kind of coming up. So, you know, I I would like to have kind of that, kind of having him come in, be that ball hawking safety. And you've seen the way that he's been able to have that production. Now he's going to be, he's going to be expensive. Don't get me wrong. Shoot. Big money. Big money. Yeah. 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 But I mean, he was the, he was the highest graded safety by PFL, I believe. Maybe Justin Justin Simmons might have. Been. But you're talking about a guy who's going to make huge money that went undrafted. Either either him you know. or if by some miracle Justin Simmons makes it to free agency, uh, I would go all in on both of them. Oh yeah, Justin. Ju- now see, now we're agreeing on the Justin Simmons thing. Justin Simmons makes my pants tight. Okay, that guy's <laughs> that guy's he's straight up good. Now and you know you, he fell. He now he got drafted in the third round. Yes, you you know but you know why we we can all narrow it down. We saw that his play at Boston College first round play went to the combine, ran in the four sixes. That made him fall to the third round. Okay, we know yeah. we know why he fell. We know why he was there. But we saw production, 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 production. Right, and he was you know all pro this year. That guy is a stud. Another guy. We actually that's funny because last week we actually had a, a question about who are some targets via the safety position, free agent and draft wise. And my second target was actually Ha Ha Clinton Dix, a guy who's moved around like three rosters at this point. Uh, okay. He had a very he had another very disappointing season. I think he was like seventy four. Or he was in the seventies by, by PFF grade, um, which is like in the thirtieth, thirty thirties range, is, uh, being ranking wise. Um, okay. But I mean, that should mean that that guy is relatively cheap, and we know he has athletic ability. We've seen that him play at a high level with the Packers. We saw him play at a high level with the Redskins. He slipped the last couple of years. You know, we know he's got the athleticism. He was a first round draft pick out of Alabama, but that's mm-hmm. something I think that they can get cheaper. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I and I hear you there. I also worry a little bit about the injury history with him, but he could oh, be for a, sure, like you said, cheap Morgan Burnett type, where exactly. you know, you're breaking 100%. him in. I, I I can get behind and that. Still, still 27 years old too. He's not old. He just he's been bumped and bruised. Another guy too, Jimmy Ward. People forget yeah. Jimmy Ward's going to be a free agent too. And that guy, you talk. We talked about T.J. Carey being versatile, playing the slot. Jimmy Ward does it even better. Jimmy Ward played started a cornerback for the Niners last year. Yeah, no, and and that's the thing, man. Too, you know, I, I I looked at Jimmy Ward. Jimmy Ward's another one who I'd be interested in. Um, you know, just not as high as Anthony Harris for me, but you know, I, I look at Jimmy Ward. And the other thing too is that Joe Woods is a DB coach in San Francisco right now. Yeah. So you know, yeah. that's another connection that you can kind of pair between the two. Um, but you know, I I would be fine with bringing in Jimmy Ward. Um, you know, I, for me, I'm looking at this off season coming away with three different safeties. You know, I, I would say, you know, one of the higher end free agents, like what you said, kind of one of those cheaper options that you bring in and also draft one as well. Yeah. Um, they're definitely the going to be looking at draft targets for sure. The, we agree the on that. Other, the other thing I will say too, I, I did like Justin Burris a lot. I loved what I saw. Out of I him didn't, at he's camp. Yeah. I, I, I liked him a lot, man. And I, I really do think that. Um, you know, Justin Burris is somebody who can stick. Yeah, he kind of get he he's very solid. You know, you don't want him starting, mm-hmm. but he's not a liability, right? Exactly. Um, and he got he got kind of thrown into the action too. That he I feel like he feels like it, he appears to be a guy that has a very high floor. 
low ceiling, but a very high floor. Like, hey, go in there, everybody's dead, and then he still does he does okay. Right? Because I mean, this is a guy that they it's bounced from the active roster numerous times and then ends up starting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think one week he got he got signed four days prior to actually starting the game. That was the Jets game. Yeah. When he got so, cut by the Jets and then uh picked up by the Browns. Yeah, and he plays he plays very solid, very solid player. So we're on the same page there. I definitely think there's some talent here. I think this is still one of the more talented rosters in the NFL. It'll be definitely interesting how it shakes out. I noticed you're not in see you're not uh, down in Mobile this year. I am not. I am not. I wish I was, but you know, I mean I I'm working up at uh ninety two three the fan. You know, I, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I'm I, I have to work up here. You know, got got stuff going on up here as well. But, you know, I, I wish I was down there with Jeff and the rest of the guys down there. But, you know, I know they're having a good time. I'm, I'm talking, I'm in constant contact with those guys. So, you know, I know they're having a great time. Oh yeah, I'm 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 jealous. Well, we you and I were at the combine. <laughs> well, we kind of were at the combine. I was kind of at the combine last year. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we can meet up again. But uh, the yeah, the draft process will be a fun watch. I'm sure. I haven't really dug into a whole lot of film yet. I got uh, you know I got my basic list. That I've been pay- guys have been paying attention to, but they're mostly larger guys. You know, like uh, I think Lavishka Chanel. You know, we talked about safety's position. So Grant Delper, Brandon Jones, um, guys like that. But I got a smaller name for you. I got a smaller name for you. UCLA, Devin Asiasi, the tight end. I love his tape. You know, the one. Have you seen? Well, I'll go on, go on. I I apologize. I was going to say the biggest takeaway and the biggest negative for for Asiasi that I saw on that tape was that I don't know who the hell is recruiting quarterbacks for for UCLA, but they they need to be fired because whoever their quarterback is, is not good. He's not it. Like, oh my God. Uh, uh, God, oh my God! You're uh, I can't be I can't remember his initials now, dude. You know he's like the highest rated recruit. I UCLA had that's Chip I, Kelly's gem there, dude. I didn't like him. I didn't like him from what I saw. I didn't. Like you know what I saw? You know what's funny? I I 100 agree with you. That's another guy. That's a guy. That's uh, that's tape. Oh my God, McLeod Thompson is that his last name? I, I, the I, name ex- the I, name escapes I, me, but he replaced uh he replaced Tate Martell at Bishop Gorman. And then oh he was another, yeah, he was a big four or five star recruit at UCLA. Uh, prior to Chip Kelly's recruiting class, he's a sophomore this year. A lot of people like him. He he had a he ended the season. It's funny because I I know UCLA's offense pretty well because I lost a lot of money on them <laughs> because they they he ended the year very hot as a freshman. Like okay, hey, this guy's figured it out. And then he started the year like doo doo dude like booty as a sophomore but then again again he ended the year strong it's really strange that's funny that you bring him up though because a lot of people like him i'll have to check him out a small school tight end that is, is actually catching some some hype i'm sure you've seen it uh i cannot pronounce his name but the tight end at portland state i had him ranked as my number 10 tight end going into the year behind guys like albert o from missouri and colby parkinson from stanford jared Pinkney from vanderbilt but i had the guy from portland state i cannot pronounce his name at all yeah. Good luck to anybody who wants to try. Charlie, <laughs> uh, but that's a guy that I really like. That they're talking. People say that he's probably going to be there in the seventh round. I don't know, man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Tennessee will be really interesting, but that that'll be fun. The draft will be fun to uh, to keep up with and be paying attention to. So I'll check out. I'll be sure to take a deeper dive into Aussie Aussie. I got to take a lot of deeper dives into a lot of people. So yeah, because he's one of those guys where, it, and especially in this kind type of Shanahan offense, you know, he's a willing. And honestly, he seems like a guy who thoroughly enjoys blocking the hell out of you into the dirt. And not only that, like he's got enough athletic ability 
to where like he looks natural running routes, but it was just the issues of you know ball placement, um, you know some of those just errant throws and like watching it, I was getting frustrated for him. Like, That's so funny. Yeah, that's cause, so funny. Because it just takes me back to seeing Mitch Leidner perform at the uh, perform at the combine in 2017, and just seeing like literally like running backs as they're trying to run those uh, out routes, you know, for the combine drills. Just basically like you can hear them yelling from up top, going like, "What the hell is wrong with this guy? Just throw me the damn ball!" Like, Mitch Leidner. How, do you remember the brief four-week period of his junior year where he had some first-round hype? Oh, I he, he I, had like a hundred yards rushing, a two hundred yards passing, like four games in a row from Minnesota. Him I, and Brian Lewerke, him and Brian Lewerke were hot first-round heart targets or getting some first-round hype uh, around only, the same time. I only know thanks to the uh, the old shout out to the old draft breakdown podcast, but I only know Mitch Leidner as uh, Todd McShay first-round pick Mitch Leidner um, because that was his preseason hype. Bro, Mitch Leitner was legit, dude. He was big. He was strong. He was yeah. sexy, Mac. He was sexy. He was a sexy quarterback, dude. <laughs> Him and Nate At- Stanley, bro. There, sometimes you got those quarterbacks that are just God, man. Uh, Nathan Rourke was kind of like that this year out of Ohio. I know we're kind of we're kind of getting off topic here, but we'll yeah. talk. But but Nathan Rourke was like that too. He had some some first round hype. I'm sure if you go back, I mean, pick any any source you want, even the Draft Network news. I bet if you go back to their history, some asshole said Nathan Rourke was going to be a first round pick, and he just he just didn't. You know, st- it just doesn't happen sometimes. Sometimes those guys fall off the cliff. Tyree Jackson out of Buffalo. You're kind of seeing it with Jordan Love, too, this year. Jordan Love is getting some legitimate hype, and he's actually having a good week this week, you know, when it comes to not having a pass rush come at him. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but, like, that's that's the one thing, though, that I will say is that, you know, with Tyree, and you saw it a little bit with him last year, but especially at the Senior Bowl, but, you know, He's got the cannon of an arm, Huge but when arm. it comes to touch or when it comes to accuracy, dude just doesn't have it. Yeah, and- he, he just goes deep. And I don't think the accuracy thing is fair. I think he do- he has a couple balls where he drops it in the basket. Oh, yeah, but don't get me wrong. It's like- very inconsistently, and a lot of it's his footwork. And I don't think teams want to – he, he's a project, and teams don't want to – Dude, you know what I mean? Like, you can't draft a guy and sit on him on, on the shelf for three years. That's not how it works. Teams don't mm-hmm. do that. People think that these quarterbacks that are projects get drafted. No, that's not how it works. Don't tell that to Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. But you know what? Tyree Jackson playing the XFL, that that's a guy that I would keep an eye on for the XFL because that's the perfect example of someone who needs a couple more years of football and they can really turn into something. Jordan Love, I the Jordan Love thing, we'll we'll be talking about this throughout the process because I can tell you like him a lot more than I do. I it's not that I like him. It's not that I like him. It's that I think that NFL teams like him a lot. We'll and see. I'm hope, and I'm hoping that, you know, one of those top nine like him a lot because from what I <laughs> from yeah. From some of the stuff that I had seen today, apparently, um, I'll, he did very well, and a lot of teams that like him quite a bit. I mean, he's got a big arm. He's very athletic. He's got a lot going on. Uh, to me, there are question marks. He played really well under Matt Wells' offense. Well, Matt Wells left for Texas Tech, and Jordan Love stayed, and then Gary Anderson got in there, and he. Wh- where did the offense go? What happened? Does that make sense? Was it Matt Wells? Because Texas Tech looked good. Now the Texas Tech quarterbacks look good, and they're throwing the ball, and they're looking well. Was it, you know, I mean, is it Matt Wells or is it Jordan Love? I think Jordan yeah. Love's got a lot of physical talent, but he we might be looking at another Tyree Jackson situation. Just has to be with the right coach. 
Yeah, I guess we'll see. Well, we, we just hit the hour mark. I promise everybody we keep it short, so we should probably end <laughs> this strong note. Keep it as short is- for an hour. <laughs> and this is uh, Josh Keeley. You can find me on Twitter at Josh Keeley sixteen. As always, you can find my work on Brown at Browns Wire. Mac, dude, we can find your work on Browns Wire now too, man. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Bring the tear to my eye. Oh yeah, yeah. you can find my work on Browns Wire, and as always, follow me on Twitter at Mac Robinson ninety five. Oh my God, you are so cool. <laughs> All right, we're out.